good morning. It's, it's really good to, to be together. Um, we are preaching through the book of Genesis. Could be in the book for 25 years. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's been rich, so I don't want to get out of the book anytime soon. Uh, we're on chapter 18 today, and it brought up to me this week and just an interesting question to kind of just let it float out among us is in whom, who, what, which, where do we trust? In what do we trust and in who do we trust? Um, looking at money from America, uh, isn't it fascinating that on it it says, in God we trust? Very specific, in God we trust. And I, I did a little like looking into that this week and it was approved by Congress in 1864 to put on all the money in God we trust. Three years into the Civil War, that it was suggested three years into the Civil War, we need to be able to hope in something. And what if we put on every bit of our money in God we trust to actually have hope in our darkest hour? And um, I feel like our cultural moment, if we were honest, digital coinage, somehow we on coinage moving forward, maybe on new digital coinage, somehow we put a motto on that. Um, in me, we trust. Seems like that might be, like I know that sounds kind of weird, but it does seem like a, in me, we trust. Not in me, me, but in each of our me's, we trust. That I'm, I'm trusting you to trust yourself, and I'm trusting you to trust yourself. In me, we trust seems to be the default, not of our society, but the default of the human condition. The default of the human condition without God's intervention is in me, we trust. And Genesis 18 is just going to have us be circling around this circling around this for our own lives, circling around this for, for what God is bringing to our attention at such a foundational, the book of Genesis is a foundational book for the people who have come out of Egypt to get Egypt out of the people so they could be nation builders following God and having other people follow them as they follow God. And the book of Genesis is foundational for us for the same purpose. So we are in verse 1 of 18, and it will be informative, and that's, that's good. That's a beauty of narrative, of, of all of the narrative throughout Scripture, is it's informative. We, we learn things. We could win Bible trivia with certain things that we learn, and it is also transformative. So if we walk out of here like, hey, I've got some good things to talk about that I've learned, that's good. It's complete when it is changing us. And would even, even verse 1 of chapter 18 start us in that trajectory. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Him is Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Some of us will be experiencing that, being intense in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, 
three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring just a a, a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they, the three men said, do as you have said. We are are okay with that plan. The Lord appears. Let's look at verse one. The Lord appears. So the Hebrew actually says Yahweh appears has come. So whenever you, in the Old Testament, see L-O-R-D in all caps, that actually is God's name. That is usually Yahweh. Uh, Then look at the bottom, second to the bottom line, O Lord, see how that's not all caps? That's not God's name. So when, when we know the Lord appears, it's saying Yahweh, Appeared. The reason it's not, it's like, well, why don't they just write the name Yahweh right there, right? Well, it's because of the commandment that says don't take God's name lightly or in vain. So in Hebrew culture, they, they would, I've said the name Yahweh a bunch of times, they, would, they refuse to say that name because they don't want to take his name lightly, so they say Adonai. Even if they're reading the letter like Yahweh, they say Adonai because they want to say Lord. They would never say Yahweh out loud um, or even write it many times. They, they would write a form of that name. They would use the consonants of Yahweh, but write the vowels of Adonai. And that's where we get the name Jehovah. Jehovah is not a word that's meant to be a word. It's the consonants of Yahweh with the vowels of Adonai to remind you to say the name Adonai out loud. Don't say Yahweh out loud. That's what Jehovah would be as English. So probably more than you wanted to know. (laughs) But what is amazing here is that God himself has come to their tent. Yahweh is in flesh, appearing before them. Three men appear. So, but when Abraham says, oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, he, that word, it's Adonai, and it's in the singular, not the plural. So of the three men, he's speaking to one of them, which that fits with our Trinitarian theology, our thoughts about God, about the Trinity, from what scripture has told us about the Trinity, which is that among the three persons of the Trinity, we experience one of them visibly. Not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, the Son. Eternally the Son. He he came Christmas time in the flesh, but that wasn't where he began. He just took on flesh at that time. But there are times, it's called the pre-incarnate experiences of Jesus, is that before his incarnation, he came many, many, many times. In the fulfillment of God's promises, Jesus is moving towards people all the time. It's just who he is. It's how he operates. I hope we all know him that way. So what is most understood here 
is Jesus has showed up at Abraham's tent with two angels with him. They aren't named who they are. We can guess, we only know the names of a handful, uh, but it, it could be Gabriel and Michael, both archangels that, that make huge appearances in other parts like the book of Daniel, the New Testament when Gabriel comes to Mary. So very likely it's Jesus, maybe Gabriel and Michael, and they're at the Oaks of Mamre. It's a good rural Iowa way to describe where someone's at by those big trees that we all know about. Um, so this is an area 25 miles south of Jerusalem. It's an arid area, but it does grow a lot of pasture land. Like we'll see later, David will be keeping the flocks. Um, this is kind of in this area, within 30 miles of this area. So we know there is pasture land there. I've been there. They're, they're, still, they're still grazing out a bunch of goats and stuff in that area. And what's fascinating, which doesn't happen a lot in this arid area, there are giant oak trees in this area, which excites me. I love that it's like, it, it, this is amazing that, that it's still here. So this is actually a, a photo from 1900 in this area um, of an ancient oak tree. Uh, I think this one I read, it's 31 feet around, around the base. So if you think about it, if, and that's rare for, like if you look in the background, there's a lot of rocks. So if there were like 10, 15, 30 trees like this, everybody in the country knows where the Oaks of Mamre are. Um, and so that's where Abraham has his tent and he instantly knows that these three men are from heaven. He instantly knows one of them is Yahweh. So he's quick to show them hospitality. I love that they're hungry, they're not in a hurry, they've come to be with him, to be with them. So Abraham says, hey, why don't you guys have a little bit of water for your feet, which you think if it's hot, they want it for their mouths, which they probably drank too. But during this time, basically people are wearing chacos, is kind of what everybody wore. They wore chacos, and they're, so if chacos ever tries to like say, we have a trademark on that, we invented it, it'd be like, uh -uh. they've been wearing things like that for a long time. And it was, you could see it's really dusty there, so their feet get really dirty. And it's kind of like when you've been traveling and you're like, hey, I just need to go to the airport and just throw a bunch of water on my face and I'll instantly feel refreshed. They wanted to throw a bunch of water on their feet and feel like they weren't just out on the highway. And he offers them a morsel of bread I wonder if he wanted to under-promise and over-deliver, because look at verse six. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender. And get, yeah, I just picture these three guys watching this 100-year-old man like running between like place and place, being like, I have guests with me. And, and he's like, tender and good, gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then verse eight, then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. This is like charcuterie tray, like all, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. For like, I don't know if you've ever had this conversation for those who are married, but where it's like, 
Like, oh, yes, we would love to have you for dinner. But it's like, honey, quick, we got to do this, this, this. You know, kids, like, you, you just weren't expecting this to happen. So he tells Sarah to take three sias of fine flour. So one sia of fine flour is like two gallon jugs full of flour. So picture two, you know, so first of all, picture like making like biscuits with Bisquick and you've got like two cups and it like makes a lot, right? Like two cups is making a, when you're feeding three guys, three guys, two gallon jugs full of flour is one sia. So we're talking six gallon jugs full of just the flour. Let's just make that just for the bread portion of the meal for three guys. Uh, then, and it says cakes and bread and clusters. It could be like monkey bread. Because remember, he said, oh, we'll just give you a morsel of bread. But it seems like he's like, like taking it premium. You know, like let's make this cake of bread. Whatever. These could be biscuits or something. Um, so a lot of flour for three guys. And then he gets a whole calf and has it butchered and cooked Grilled, I'm sure. Then they make cheese on top of it. So this must have been the largest feast that Abraham could think of preparing for the one who has feasted in his grace lavished on Abraham. The one who has lavished Abraham with grace, with mercy, with promises, with life. Abraham and Sarah and their whole household are probably involved in preparing the spread. They give their best to the best one in their lives. You see it right here. They are giving their best to the best one in their lives. Adonai, the Lord Yahweh, preparing a meal. And I, I, I think it's fascinating that Abraham, like, stand, maybe he just stood, like, being like, yep. That's my calf. You know, it's delicious, isn't it? You know, like, I don't know if he's standing there watching them with just like the pride of like these guys grunting as they're like experiencing this, uh, this amazing food or like if he just feels like, I can't believe I'm here in, in this moment. But he doesn't share with them. He, he watches them eat. Sarah's in a near, nearby tent. Look at verse nine. Then they said to him, so they haven't spoken yet, if we read carefully. The only thing that they've said is like, oh yeah, what you say, go ahead and do that. But Abraham hasn't said like, hey, why are you guys here? What, what do you want me to know? Like first he just takes care of them physically, you know, the, everybody comes around. And so this is their first like, here's why we're here. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord, you see, all caps, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, those are all lowercase Lord, speaking of Abraham. You know, she's like puffing him up to, you know, after my Lord is old, 
shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Which is, he's using his complete knowledge of all situations and thoughts and words of all of us. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, man, my prayer this week is like, Lord, would this be an anthem of our church? Would this be an anthem, a motto? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Once again, all caps. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So all that they want to talk about is Sarah. I love it. That's all that, that this is about Sarah. Why we are here is about Sarah. And she's listening. <laughs> like, Abraham is at least 100 years old. Sarah is at least 90 years old. And they explicitly mention here, in the narrator mentions here that don't forget that it's not even biologically possible for her to even get pregnant. And Yahweh is sitting right in front of them. Two angels are, are flanking him. When Yahweh, when Jesus tells Abraham that this time next year, Sarah will have given birth to a son, that the Lord will come back to see the son, which is amazing. Like, hey, I, just know I'm, I'm coming back. Sarah laughs and comments on how she is worn out, how her husband is old. And in verse 13, Jesus is very focused on the reality that Sarah has laughed. When Sarah thinks about this happening, she laughs. When God thinks about this happening, this is, verse 14 is so huge. When Sarah thinks about it's happening, she's like, impossible. When God thinks about this happening, he's like, I know what I can do. Is anything impossible for me? Is anything impossible for Yahweh? Verse 15, I feel like, lets us in closer. Sarah keeps denying that she laughed. She's actually lying to God face to face. But look at what it says, for she was afraid. And I think you could take this a couple ways. Like, it's just like shallow face value. Like, she's afraid she got caught. Or she's like afraid that like, oh man, they're making a big deal out of this little white lie or something. Um, I, I think it's way deeper and bigger than that. Just, I think meditating on this and just knowing my own life too, like for decade after decade after decade, Sarah has wanted so badly to have a child. Her dream, her, her very dream is coming true and she's scared. Like her, her greatest dream is coming true and she's scared. Like God has actually come himself to deliver the news. When she hears news that she's waited to hear for her entire life, she's afraid that her dreams are coming true. She's thinking about herself. And uh, I think for all of us, like, it could be like, yeah, I wouldn't have been freaked out if you answered my prayer when I was praying it 
in the way that I was expecting you to answer the prayer. And if it would have all gone like this at this season in my life, like, like that's when you should have answered the prayer. But now when I'm like this and he's like that and this is like this, this is when you choose to answer the prayer? Like that's not, I don't have room for you right now to do that. I don't know what that's gonna require of me. Like this is not the way I envisioned it. And the Lord doesn't let it go. Like in our family, we talk a lot about like letting things go <laughs> as it relates to like, hey, I think, yeah, yes, they should have not spoken that way at that time in that way, but I think we just gotta let this go and not keep holding on to it. And you know, I think if you read it, you're kind of like, hey, Lord, you should maybe take it easy on Sarah. Like you know, she's old and you're asking a lot of her, but he doesn't let it go. And I think he doesn't let it go because he's not letting her go. And because he wants her thoughts, he wants her eyes, he wants her trust to be on him. And be like, I'm not, I don't want to let you laugh because you're scared. And like go off on your own scared. Like I'm here. Nothing's impossible with me and Tell me why you're laughing. Let's go there. And man, I, I just think like, what about us? Like, where do we find ourselves in this? That like maybe your, your deepest dreams are coming true and it is scary. Like God has come to you. He's told you of your salvation. You've responded. You've been adopted into his family you're empowered by his spirit. You're placed into a body of Christ to be his hands and feet together here on earth. Your future with him and each other were free from sin. We can walk together in his glory and his strength and his might, and it is scary. And is anything impossible with God? And man, I would just let, like, Lord, would you just, any areas that you need to speak where, where we are like Sarah in hearing you tell us things that we're not ready for, that we don't know how this is going to play out, um, would we not give you the stiff arm, but let you come closer, let, and with our eyes to you, let you show us how this is going to work out. And then verse 16, the three men are like, hey, let's, let's, can we talk about something else? So they, these three men take the conversation in a new direction, and it's an additional reason why they're on the ground. Verse 16, then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham met went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So actually like we're supposed to be what God is doing with Abraham, all the earth shall be blessed through that. So it's very important that we pay attention to what God is doing with Abraham. 
He says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Man, the heart of God in 20 and 21, it's Lord in all caps. Yahweh says, I hear things are happening in Sodom and Gomorrah that are very grave. Their sin is very grave. Great is their sin. There's an outcry coming towards me. And I'm actually gonna go on the ground, walk around and see for myself the situation. I think a lot of us would have like the nuke button and just be like hitting it and never even just go and look everybody eyeball to eyeball and actually see the situation on the ground. So for, for the Lord to say, hey, I'm gonna go there and Abraham is hearing this. And what God has called Abraham is to trust him, walk with him, lead your kids and those around you to follow God, to do righteousness, doing the right thing as God has taught us, seek justice. That is Abraham's call, what Abraham is to be about. And then God's like, now let's go see 50 miles from here what's happening. Let's go check it out. Abraham knows this is where my nephew's whole family live. My nephew's whole large family live there. And God is going there to check it out. And Abraham has a call for all of his people to walk with God. And, and Lot has heard all of that. So Lot should be very familiar with all of that. Look at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? So I, just real quick, like I, I see Abraham like hearing Jesus and the angels talk among themselves and say, hey, we're gonna actually go on the ground and see what the Sodom and Gomorrah situation is. And Abraham, kind of as they start walking, I just see Abraham being like, hey, uh, so with the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, um, so here's, uh, and then here he says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there's not another, this is a very unique conversation in scripture. Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. He's like, yeah, uh, Lot's family, uh, let, let's go with 50. Okay, so suppose that there are 50 righteous people in the city. Will then you sweep away the entire place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. Abraham's like, you are the judge of all the earth. You will be just, correct? So you will not destroy 50 people while you're destroying a whole city. 
And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Shall the judge of the earth do as just? Yes. So I think he's like, hey, okay, 50, that's about his family size. Um, so his family should be okay. But he's like, well, what if I missed it? What if like five of his family aren't walking with God? So I, I better go to verse 27. Abraham answered and said, behold, uh, I've taken, undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who, who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. Verse 29, again, he spoke to him because I think the assumption is like, hey, we're still going. I know 45, but we're still going. So then he says, well, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Realize this, Abraham is pleading with God on behalf of people who don't know this conversation is happening. Verse 30, then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again, but this, just this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Which, I mean, he's getting really close, right? He's like, that means basically no one from Lot's family are following God, even though Lot knows everything that God has said to Abraham. Lot knows so much about God. Lot has even seen his uncle rescue him from being a bonehead and living too close to that city. And verse 33, the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Remember, Abraham had went and rescued Lot. There's no rescue here. There's no rescue from Yahweh. You can't, I can't go and rescue someone from Yahweh's just judgment. So where Abraham used to go to rescue his nephew, there, there's a place where I don't think he goes smaller than 10 because I think he knows there's not one and he's just gonna leave it at 10. That Lot doesn't care about God, doesn't care about his family following God, doesn't care about God's ways. And Sarah is afraid in following God to hang with God in God fulfilling his promises and she is trusting God. And Lot should be scared and he is oblivious. And we'll, I would encourage you, so we're going to go into some really interesting places the next couple weeks. Um, we are going to go right into a lot. I think there's so much in Sodom and Gomorrah for us today. And it will not be a gay bashing next couple weeks. Um, I would encourage, even if you have friends that are living in that lifestyle, like invite them to come. And any of us, 
um, the, the ground will be level in the things that God says to all of us and um, the invitation to all of us, God's ways for all of us. And so we're gonna get into a lot of the details of that that I don't think is the purpose of Genesis 18. For us, I feel like the, the purpose of Genesis 18 is for those of us who do bow our knee to Yahweh, is, is anything impossible to God? Is anything impossible with God? And it's like, well, what do I do with that? Well, well, where do I, and this is a great conversation around the dinner table, a great conversation around community group or wherever, where do I look to me instead of trusting in God? Where am I trusting me instead of trusting God? And you're like, well, how do I find that out? Well, I would follow the trail of where you're scared. Follow the trail of your anxiety. Follow the trail of what wakes you up and keeps you up when you should be sleeping. Follow the trail of your anger. What makes me angry? Follow the trail of your worry. Follow the trail of your disappointment. And that's not to make you feel shame because that was not Jesus' purpose in inquiring to Sarah and leaning towards Sarah was to not point her out in a shameful way. That's how we treat our kids at times when we shouldn't. That's not how he treats his kids. It's to pull them closer to say, can we talk about your heart? Can we go a little deeper and a little closer here? I'm inviting you to trust me to do the impossible and the things that feel impossible in your life. So for those of us who bow our life to Yahweh right now, is anything impossible with God? For those in our community, congregation, those parts of us who refuse to bow our lives to Yahweh, will not the judge of the earth do what is just? Will not the judge of the earth do what is right? And man, I think it's just a really good question for us is, do I know my sin is judged by a just judge? Like Lot, I think was just like, oh, life is great, this is great, you know, everything is awesome. And he doesn't know the conversation that's happening and he's oblivious to really serious things from a just God who's like, I'm coming to make sure the data, the information is sound. So what's your plan? Do I know my sin is judged by a just judge and what's my plan? Am I oblivious and I don't have a plan because I don't know these things? And I would encourage you to probably make it a priority to know these things. Or can we say guilty as charged? I am guilty. Uh, I, you are just judge and what you say about me as a guilty sinner, I would be the, quick, the first to say guilty. First to say you are a truth speaker. Anything that Satan could say about me, I could say, that's true as well. Oh, and that's probably true as well. And then there is this overarching narrative that says, I will say innocent to any who look at the payment of Jesus on the cross 
to actually be the payment for their guilt that the just judge himself actually gets on the cross to say, I'm gonna take care of this myself so that you can be free from all of that and follow me. Will not the judge of the earth do what is just? He, he actually kind of didn't <laughs> because of his lavish grace towards us. It was scandalous what he did, the innocent one took on all of our guilt for all of our innocence and freedom. And so this morning, the intersection of all of this is him. He is the intersection of all of this, the one that moves towards us that says, I wanna make possible things that you don't even think are possible. Um, Let's talk about judgment. Let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about what's keeping you awake at night. And the intersection of all of that is him. And that is why we take communion, is because we actually, this is like a physical thing that he gave us to commune with him. Not to just remember him, but to, to commune with him. He says, take this bread, eat it. Take this wine, this juice, drink it. And we'll have, the, the way we do it here is that uh, we'll spend a few moments just seeking him, letting him do what he wants to do in our lives, in our hearts. Uh, then um, I think the Phil Greens will be serving us uh, this morning. Just come up with your hands out. They'll give you the bread. Take the wine or the juice, and we'll come back, remain standing, and I'll lead us in taking it together as family. If you're like, man, I don't know where I'm at in this. I might be lot. Um, I don't know. I would encourage you, like, talk to me, talk to someone close to you, um, or just talk to him. Say, like, I don't, I, I don't know where I'm at with this. If this is true, would you let me know in some way? I want to respond. I, I, I don't want to be like Lot. I want to be like busted up Abraham and Sarah that are still letting him pursue them and they're responding in the best ways that they know how. And when they mess up, he keeps pursuing them and they keep figuring out how to walk with him. And so the ways that the Lord will, will guide us in that, Lord, we just give all this to you. Um, would you allow us to truly commune with you this morning, to commune with you in these things, that in the same way that you move towards Abraham and Sarah, you are the same our response, we should be as excited and kind of not thinking clearly as Abraham was when he went for all that flower just to try and give, give the best to the best one in his life. And so, Lord, would you even take us to that place right now, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's respond to him.